0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six. Martin Lloyd Jones preached a long series sermon series through the book of Ephesians. It's six volumes long. He he preached about thirty sermons just on the whole armor of God. William Gurnall who lived in the Puritan time. He was not a Puritan, but he was just like them. Uh, he wrote a book on the armor of God. 1,200 pages, small print. It's one of the greatest books ever written. Uh, so I have to apologize. This will be the fourth and the last sermon. That's all you're getting on the whole armor of God today. But let me... Let me read God's Word. This is the end of our sermon series on Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, be looking at verses 18 through 24. Notice also that I'm starting in the middle of a sentence, continuing through the whole armor of God. This is God's Word. Praying at all times in the Spirit so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Amen. Well, this morning we come to the very end of Paul's great letter to the Ephesians. In it, we have heard the good news of what God has done for us. How in Christ, God loved us, God chose us before the foundation of the world, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. He lavished grace on us in Christ. We have heard how in Christ Jesus, God has redeemed us at great cost with his own blood and how God made us alive together with Christ and raised us with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. And all of this, was simply a gift of pure grace. None of it was earned. While we were yet sinners, God loved us. Nor could we have ever earned any of it, for we were children of wrath, slaves to Satan, dead in sin. But even then, God loved us and united us to himself and united us to one another so that all things would be summed up in Jesus Christ. And that is what the first half of Ephesians is about. And then in the last half, we've heard how we ought to respond to this good news, how we ought to walk as God's children and walk in love with one another, how we ought to pursue unity and purity and put off the old man and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. For we believers have a new identity now. We are God's children, and we are created in his image. This is not merely some academic truth, but something that really affects the way we live. And Paul has shown us this in the way we spend our time, in the in what we value, the way we live and serve and forgive, the way we relate to one another in our marriages, in our families. And in our work. Finally, we have been reminded that since we are in Christ, Satan rages against us constantly, and so we must be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might to stand firm and to fight against all our enemies' attacks. That is a quick summary of Ephesians. It's amazing that all those topics are covered in this short letter. But that summary that I just gave you misses out on a really amazing feature of this letter, and that feature is prayer. Although this is a short letter, Paul cannot finish it with writing it without stopping to pray for us multiple times. He ends his letter, the most, perhaps the most theological of all his letters, not on theology, but on prayer again. In chapter 1, he says that he does not cease giving thanks for these believers while he prays that they may know God and his great love more and more. In a similar way, he is calling us here at the end of the letter to not cease praying also. The whole letter then and everything in it should drive us to our knees in prayer as it has driven Paul to his knees in prayer. For we have also heard of God's great plan. We know that God desires great things for his people and we know that he's there to help us. We also know our own hearts, how we still struggle to put off the old man and to put away our old sinful way of life. We know that we have an enemy who is far stronger than we are, and so we know that we have a desperate need for God's strength in the battle. Brothers and sisters, all of this must drive us to prayer. That must drive us to the throne of grace, to approach God for grace to help in time of need, because brothers and sisters it is the time of need right now if our great need and god's great love god's great purpose doesn't drive you to prayer i have to ask what will brothers and sisters prayer is the life of the christian it was one of the marks of the of paul when he became a christian It was said that he was praying. Our whole life is to be a life of prayer. Our church is to be a house of prayer. If there's one thing that we could be good at in this life, one thing that we're known for as a church, I would want it to be that we are people of prayer. Everything else will fall in place if we cling to the Lord. Prayer is how we seek God's face. Prayer is how we humble ourselves before Him. Prayer is the main way we exercise our faith. Prayer is a necessary part of true repentance. Prayer is a necessary part of walking with God, too. And it's amazing, prayer is both a means of worship and a means of grace. In prayer, we show God to be our great provider, our security, our help, and we show ourselves to be needy. Prayer is a humble appeal from our impotence to God's omnipotence. Prayer is the mark of every true Christian. Brothers and sisters, apart from Christ, you can do nothing, and thus you must always pray. This is the point here. We always are in need of God, and so we always must pray and pray for one another as well. Now this, this call to prayer here comes at the end of this great passage on the armor of God. We have seen that we have a powerful and cunning enemy and that on our own, we are without armor. We are defenseless. We need God's provision, God's strength, God's armor. And now Paul has told us a little bit about this armor piece by piece. There's the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. Each of these spiritual resources that God has provided us with here are associated with a piece of the armor. But notice, not prayer. Prayer is, is not a, a shield of prayer or a breastplate of prayer. It's not connected to a, a specific piece of the armor, but it is connected to the armor of God somehow. What is this connection then? It seems to be that prayer is the way we go about using the armor. Prayer is the way that we go about putting the armor on. Matthew Henry said, by prayer we buckle the armor on. And this means that the armor is provided for us and designed in such a way that it is only to be used in connection with our fellowship and communion with God. Never think of the armor as something that God has given you and trained you. Now you've graduated and you go off to fight Satan independently. That is not how it is to be conceived. You are never alone in this fight. If you were, it doesn't matter how much training you have. You're helpless. Rather, in the armor, we cling to God. Prayer is essentially how we fight. Prayer is how we stand firm. So the armor is not something you can put on. Now that you have it, you can relax. You're safe. You must think of it in terms of a living, ongoing relationship with God. And if I I were fully clothed in armor with a sword in my hand, and I had an enemy in front of me with a sword in his hand, I might feel more secure than I, I would at the moment but I would much rather still get on the radio and call the stealth bomber to come in and blow him away. That prayer is something like this. Not, it's not the best illustration because God doesn't want to just win the battle in front of us. He is pleased to use us in the battle so that you will crush, God will crush Satan under your feet so that you participate in the victory. But do not, do not think that you can do this without prayer. Christians, I must ask you, do you pray? Now here in verse 18, we have a very full, very comprehensive summary of prayer. Likely the most comprehensive verse on prayer in the Bible. Four times in this little verse, you'll see the word all. We are told to pray at all times, with all prayer, with all perseverance, for all the saints. That's very comprehensive. Now what does this mean? It means when we say all, Paul says all prayer, it means that we are to make use of all kinds of prayer. We are to pray with all prayer. I think this means not just requests, but every part of our communing with God. There is thanksgiving, as Paul includes it in his prayer. There is requests, that is, properly speaking, prayer. And if you notice, in the the Lord's prayer, it's just requests. It's not so much praise. It's not so much thanksgiving. It's not so much Fellowship, it's it's shaping our requests. That is certainly a part of prayer. But prayer, if you read in the Psalms, you'll see it all the time. It also includes praise, it includes lament, it includes confession of sins, it includes repentance, it includes our fellowship with God. And there are all kinds of different prayers in the Bible. If you look in the book of Nehemiah, you'll see. When the king asks him, why is his face sad? He doesn't have time to go and pray for wisdom. He just shoots up a quick one-sentence prayer right before he answers the king. There are sudden emergency prayers. There are stated times of prayer. Peter and John would go up to the temple for the hour of prayer. There was prayer in the morning, prayer in the evening. There are prayers as a church. Family prayers, personal secret prayers, all of these are commended to us, and all of them are good. I don't think anyone would dispute this, but we certainly need to be reminded of it. Our prayers too often are reduced to just requests. They are just oftentimes a laundry list of things that we need. We make requests, but how often do we rejoice in God, in who He is. How often do we praise God? How often do we remember to come back like the leper that was cleansed and thank God? But a full diet of prayer will make our walk with the Lord stronger. You see, when we praise God, we're also reminded of His great power his mercy. When we thank Him, we're reminded of His faithfulness to us in the past. And that help, helps strengthen our trust for Him today and for tomorrow. It helps us remember what we were apart from Christ, without Christ, without hope, without God in this world. And reminds us of our need, even now, of His strength. Secondly, we see that we are to pray at all times. And certainly this ought to be the case for you are always at war and God is always worthy of your praise. We're always in need of God and thus we must always pray. Jesus said that we must pray at all times to pray and not lose heart. So you see, prayer is obviously something that extends beyond the boundaries of your quiet time that you have alone with the Lord. We can and we ought to go about prayer, praying in every aspect of our lives, for Christ must be the center, not just of your quiet time, but of every part of your life. And that is good news, that wherever you are, any time of day or night, whether you are in prison Whether you are at work, you have access to God directly through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, you'll notice he was in chains when he wrote this. His prayers were not in chains. He had access to God directly, and no amount of bars and locks and walls could ever keep him from it. Jesus Christ came and he broke down every barrier To keep us from God, that we might approach Him directly. Jesus Christ paid a great price that you have, that you may have the privilege of prayer. Now, this is an amazing privilege, but you know that our faith is weak. We, we find it a struggle to come before the God of the universe to present our requests to Him. So God gives us much encouragement to pray. So Paul says here that we are to pray with all perseverance, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. But Thirdly, we see that we are to pray. It doesn't say all this time, but it said that we are to pray in the Spirit. This does not mean speaking in tongues, For Paul is writing this to all Christians, and not all Christians are given the gift of tongues. Rather, it means that all Christians are to have Spirit-led prayers. And if you were to turn to Romans 8, you don't have to turn there, but if you were, you would see how all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That the Spirit leads us to pray in such a way that we may cry out confidently, Abba, Father. That is spirit-led prayer in our confidence of approaching him. It's clear evidence of our weakness that we can't even ask for help on our own strength. We can't even raise our heads or reach out our hands in faith without the Spirit's power. We also need his wisdom because we don't really recognize our need or what we should be asking without the Spirit teaching us. And so one of the ways that the Spirit helps us to pray is by instructing us in His Word. It's the sword of the Spirit. And it doesn't just stab our enemy. It teaches us. It guides us. And it pierces our own soul. and shows us our need. So our prayer by the Spirit must be also guided by the sword of the Spirit, God's Word. And we can pray with great confidence when we pray God's words back to Him. He is instructing us how to pray. The whole book of Psalms, as we've been going through it this summer, has been very instructive. God's showing us how to pour out our hearts before Him. And we know that that sort of prayer always pleases Him. But it affects the way that you come to God. Ian Duguid has a a good illustration about this. When you, you you sometimes may, those of you who are more politically active, you might reach out to the government and write a letter to your congressman, write a letter to the president asking for certain things. Uh, You don't have much of a relationship with the government, though. You never, write to the president and say, hey, let me tell you about what happened to me today. But you do do that with your parents. You naturally want to share with your parents all the things that happen. You want to share your concerns, your requests. It's not just a laundry list of requests that we have when we are led by the Spirit to pray. It's not a last resort. It's the first thing that we want to do. We want to go to our father and tell him our needs, tell him our joys, spend time with him, just to be in his presence, perhaps even silently. That is part of the spirit of prayer. And then finally it says we we are to pray for all the saints. All prayer, with all perseverance, at all times, for all the saints. And why is this? It's because we're all in this battle together. God has not been pleased to save us all individually, that we might be scattered like sheep, but to bring us together into his flock, to build us into a great building, to unite us to one another We are not just body parts separated. We are a body. And as God has brought us together, we need one another. And so you are not to conceive of this this battle with Satan as just you apart from God or just you apart from all the other Christians, but as a mighty army, terrible with banners, shields, Locked together, praying for one another, encouraging one another. How it must strike fear into Satan's heart if we were just to obey this verse. You remember how the demons trembled, how terrified they were when Christ came into their midst. They were aware that their conqueror had appeared and that they must immediately relinquish whatever he chooses to set free. They are powerless against Christ. So it must also strike fear into their hearts to see an army of Christians all clinging to Christ in prayer, all praying for one another as well. What would it be like here at Eastbridge if we all prayed for one another faithfully? What would it be like for the church in Mount Pleasant, if we were all united with one another, praying faithfully for one another. Dear brothers and sisters, obey this verse. Pray for one another. Do not grow weary in it. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. There is no one, no Christian you've ever met who is so mature so strong that they are not desperately in need of God's strength at every moment. We all are. Certainly that's clear here for the apostle himself asked them to pray for him. Brothers and sisters, pray for your pastor. Pray for me. Pray for your elders. Pray for our missionaries. Of all people, perhaps, we need prayer. Paul had been given a great task as an ambassador. He had great trials as well as a prisoner. He had a wonderful message to proclaim as an ambassador, but it also exposed other people's sins. And men who dwell in darkness hate the light. Proclaiming God's word often led to being persecuted or being killed. The apostles were not protected from this. James died very early on. Now, we sometimes know that even Paul, I mean, we know sometimes that even Paul was afraid. Sometimes he spoke with much fear and trembling. He was not a superman. He was a a weak man who relied on a super savior. And that was how he had his strength. So he prayed for two things here. Boldness and the right words to speak. That's what we need in evangelism. To know the right thing to say. And then to say it. So that the gospel might be made known. This is also what every pastor needs. Boldness and clarity. To speak the gospel without compromise, even if that makes him unpopular or empties out the church or results in persecution. Every pastor needs prayer that he preaches well and clearly with effective spirit-led words. Have you ever considered that the word preached to you each week would be more beneficial to you if you prayed for your pastors like this? And by your prayers, you would be a part of their ministry to the lost as well. When Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, was once asked the secret of his great success as a minister of the gospel, he answered, my people pray for me. And brothers and sisters, pray for me too. Make that a habit what a benefit it would be for the whole world if we all prayed faithfully for those who share the gospel, as Paul requests here in verse 19. And isn't it amazing, considering that Paul is in chains, that his request is not, help me be re- pray that I might be released from prison. Now his prayer is not that he would go free, but that the gospel would go forth freely. It is not so much Paul's own chains that he is concerned about, but the chains of the lost around him. And if you, look very, if you look at the very end of the book of Acts, you will see that God answers this prayer that Paul requests in Ephesians. Acts ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome. That's where he wrote this letter. And this is how the book of Acts ends, speaking about Paul. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That is precisely what he prayed, asked them to pray for here. That's wonderful, isn't it? That, that wasn't simply because Paul was so bold on his own strength. It was because his people prayed for him. God had given him boldness. God had answered their prayers. Let us pray for our missionaries too. Now Paul ends this letter with this very brief note of greetings. And he could be grief, brief because he was sending one of his very best fellow ministers, Tychicus who would explain everything else that they're wondering about. We're often not very familiar with Tychicus, but he carried this letter. He probably also carried Colossians and Philemon, perhaps the pastoral epistles as well. He actually did quite a bit. Uh, He had gone with Paul to bring the Gentiles' gift to the poor in Jerusalem. He was one of the ministers that Paul was hoping to send to Crete to replace Titus, as well. He's one of the little-known heroes of the New Testament, but we owe a lot to his ministry. Sending Tychicus was another act of love, another reminder that the church is one. And Paul prays for them, he writes to them, and even when he can't leave, he also sends his best man, as it were, a faithful co-worker, to them. And that shows this wonderful unity that the church has. So let us also be willing to pray for the churches abroad and for those around us. Let us visit our brothers and sisters and encourage them when we can. We had a great privilege of having some of our brothers and sisters go and bring our greetings, our love to the churches in Slovakia. Maybe one day you'll go to Haiti and see our missionaries working there and encourage them or elsewhere. Maybe you'll come to Taiwan one day. But let us be faithful in supporting uh, other churches and not just circling the wagons around our own camp and, and sticking together. God has brought us together with other Christians around the world. And we've had missionaries come here recently. We have the opportunity to send them out in a manner worthy of the Lord. Let us continue to do that. Finally, Paul ends with a blessing. He says this, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. That is not a prayer. That is a fact. That is a promise. Peace be to the brethren. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace and love with faith. Wonderful gift from God to every believer. Peace with God, love from God, faith a gift from God. That's what this whole letter is about, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, look to him then. Look to your Savior. Consider as you reflect on it, what has this letter taught you about your Savior? What has it taught you about yourself? What has it taught you about his plan for us despite our own failings and weaknesses? What has it taught us about Christ's love, his character, his sacrifice, his atoning work, his authority above all, his wonderful plan for his church? Do you long for his love to be displayed in your life all the more? Do you long to commune with him in prayer ever more closely, ever more faithfully? Do you long to know your Savior more? Do you long to love him more? I pray that you do. And may grace be with all of you who love the Lord Jesus with a love incorruptible. Amen. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us to pray. That you would encourage us to cast ourselves before you. To know that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond everything that we ask or think. Lord, make us all the more aware of our need all the more aware of your mercy, your willingness to receive us. Help us, Lord, to pray for one another and grant us great love for you, a love that is incorruptible. Do this for us, Lord, that we might praise you as you desire. In Jesus' name, amen.